Welcome to another episode of Night Shift. The London Knights getting set to take on the Erie Otters and the Owen Sound Attack in a weekend that you could describe as being not easy. We're going to talk about that and we'll tell you what else is coming up on the show. My name is Mike Stubbs. Kyle Grimard is here as well. You can find Kyle on his socials at Kyle Grimard, G-R-I-M-A-R-D. You can find me at Stubbs980. We are going to be hearing from Jeff Merrick, who weighed in for us on Shane Wright and the possibilities for Shane Wright, the options for Shane Wright. We're going to be hearing from Dylan Hunter, who's going to go through the first 10 games of an OHL season versus the next 10 games of an OHL season, the differences between the two. And then we'll also look at players playing in the NHL as teenagers. It is quite the jump. It's like being in high school and then going right into a CEO position. Kyle, it's not an easy jump to make. Some players, though, make it seamlessly. The question for Shane Wright is, is it going to be the jump he makes this year full time? Well, and it's also the issue for anyone selected within the top 10 of an NHL draft is the expectations are immediately higher on you because you're such a high priority selection in the league versus you see some guys who are second, third round picks who come in and they pleasantly surprise you. Then they make the roster because the expectations are lower. And of course, Shane Wright, who for a long part of last year was the projected number one overall selection honestly it was a back and forth right up until the the, the actual draft day until Uri Slavkowski went number one and then the slide quote-unquote happened where he was selected by the Seattle Kraken later on in the draft and you know the expectations when you're a potential number one pick or a top five pick everyone's like all right come in now make an impact be Austin Matthews or Alexander Ovechkin or Sidney Crosby, where they had tremendous first years in the league. And that's just not the case with every single player. Even guys like Mitch Marner, who was a fourth overall selection from the London Knights to the Toronto Maple Leafs, went back and played a year in junior. Mike, you remember that year. You made the call as they won the Memorial Cup. It worked out. It works out very well. And in fact, this is something that we're going to talk about later on in the podcast with Dylan Hunter, because the one thing that you have to wonder about is what is in it for a player who is taken in that case, or in Shane Wright's case, fourth overall, top five, what's in it for them to come back to major junior hockey? Because in order to be drafted that high, you've usually had a tremendous year. And those guys have been able to build on their career. And, and now this is just the logical next step. They are that talented. And if you look at how Mitch Marner has done in the National Hockey League, he's been fantastic. However, he did come back. So what is in it for a player to come back to junior? So that's coming up. Jeff Merrick joins us on the podcast from 32 Thoughts, the podcast, and Sportsnet. And he'll weigh in on those options for Shane Wright. But Kyle, let's dive into this weekend for the London Knights because there are back-to-back -back great, potentially great games. The Erie Otters and the London Knights have met once this year, happened in Erie. They also met twice in the preseason. But once that counted, happened in Erie, and the Otters won that game 3-1. If you look at the way these two teams have been playing recently, a 3-1 score I don't know if that's going to happen. The London Knights are coming off a weekend that saw them score some goals, but the Erie Otters, 20 goals last weekend in a win over Windsor and two victories 
over the Kitchener Rangers. And one of the neatest things for Erie is they've had players in some ways, you know, they took uh, not necessarily a risk with Brett Brissett, but they were hoping they would get a guy late because he'd been through some pretty big injuries in his draft year who one day would seem more like a high-end draft pick. And Brett Brissett this year is playing that way. Colby Saganuk, same sort of thing. There were a lot of voices talking about him when he was playing in the Pittsburgh area his draft year. And it just it hasn't come together before this season. Well, now it seems to be coming together for him. And then Christian Cairo, a draft pick of the Dallas Stars, a guy yeah. whose family now lives in Kamoka, he's been leading the way. And if you can find those sorts of players and they start to come into their own, you start seeing what Erie is seeing right now. So they come in white hot. And the London Knights, Kyle, we talked about it on episode eight of Night Shift, which you can find either on our website or anywhere you get podcasts. They have players that are also coming into their own, starting to produce on a more consistent basis. Yeah, it is really nice to see from the London Knights. And, you know, we've also seen a lot of that offense generated from the back end. I believe on the Saturday night game, four of the five goals had at least a point from a defender on it. Three of them were goals by defensemen. So the Knights have really understood, you know, they're getting help from both areas. You know, Sean McGurn is having a really good start as well. He's really come in. Denver Barkey's at a point per game now or nearly point per game. George Diaco was the OHL player of the month. So he has really led the charge offensively for them. But, you know, Jackson Edwards able to get a couple. And, you know, obviously the emergence uh, offensively and presence of Logan Mayu has been massive for this team. But, you know, we're seeing it on both ends of the ice we're seeing guys chip in defensively and some offensive guys coming into their own as well and it's an it was max McHugh got his first of the year and he threw the monkey off his back so you know the knights might not have that one guy in particular though you could argue george diaco is that guy but they're doing it by a committee now and it's why they've won for the last five games so we've got two teams similar in that way where it is more of a committee effort and things have been going well for both of these clubs. Erie has won three in a row coming in, so it's not going to be an easy matchup. Being on home ice certainly helps. And then you look to Saturday and Saturday, Kyle, is one of those games that the Knights will be waiting for and going into wondering, OK, what's going to happen this time? They played Owen Sound twice this year, opening night. And then a few Wednesdays ago, and that game a few Wednesdays ago saw them lose 7-2. to two. And you think, okay, what happened there? I still think you look back at that game, and I still think the game was really decided in terms of its complexion in the first five minutes and eight seconds. Because the teams combined for four goals. Owen Sound scored three of them, but the Knights found themselves down two and one was a seeing-eye shot by Sam Sedley. It was a really good shot, but it found its way through a lot of screens. Owen Sound was just throwing pucks at the net, and, and they were going in and good on them for having that strategy. It worked for them, but the Knights were down two goals, and they started having to chase. And in a building like the Harry Lumley Bayshore Community Center, inside that arena, you chase in a game, and things can seem like they're going really fast. The game can fly back and forth, and the dimensions, we've checked them. The dimensions 
are the same as any other rink. It's 200 <laughs> by 85. The corners, I still say, are a little shallower, but you've got the roof down a little lower. You've got the fans on top of you, and things just seem to move more quickly. And so I think that happened for the London Knights. They started taking some chances. Owen Sound capitalized because they've got players who can capitalize. So this time around, that start, I would imagine the Knights start the game and try to make it a whole lot slower than maybe it was the last time they met on October the 19th. And then you change the complexion of that game. But this is a great measuring stick game. Owen Sound does not play before the game against London. So they're going to be really fresh, really ready. They're only focused in on the London Knights right now. And they too come in on a three-game winning streak. Yeah, and you know, they have... At home, there's when you ever go to the Bayshore, if you've ever been there before, there is not a bad seat in the house. Everything is just marginally closer. You know, even though, you know, I think seating wise, it, it, it's a it's obviously a reduction from what it is at Budweiser Gardens, but it feels just as loud because everything seems condensed. But you're right, Mike, the ice is the exact same size. It's the same format. The corners might be a little bit more curved, but, you know, it, the I think they have a couple offensive weapons that I think London might need to really focus in on mainly their captain and Kobe Barlow. The last game, that seven, two game, he had four points was a plus four had seven shots on net. If the Knights are going to find a way to win, if Kobe Barlow cannot get four points in the game, that's a good start for them. Not falling by, uh, behind by two goals in the first five minutes is also a good start. I think both things are very, those are, those are simple things. So if they can focus on the, the, the simple tasks of the game i think that the start of the game goes a little bit better and then you never know as the game goes on not being down by two so early in the game conceding three and five minutes and the game itself the way it's played tends to change around now and knight's assistant coach dylan hunter has broken down the season into 10 game stretches and really does see different traits to what is happening in games uh first game it's uh, you paint by numbers you know it's uh you know whatever worked last year new guys coming in whatever uh you or your idea of them was you give them those chances give the older guys some chances and then from there you start dismantling it or or changing some things around to see what works you know and uh there is no real scientific way of doing it it's gives i guess the most scientific is how long you keep them together with the first 10 games is it easier to create offense than maybe the second 10 games it depends uh you know like some teams it depends if you have really skilled guys then it's way easier you know it's just like you see in the nhl exhibition you know you have some teams that can really light her up and all of a sudden all the guys come back and it tightens up and you can't get nothing done uh so it's the problem is when you don't have those goal scorers and you get those cheating habits trying to score and then it tightens down and then you're given chances the other way and you're not getting any four so you're looking worse so it's a it's a fine line of trying to convince players what they're going to be and and you try to get it as quickly as you can to for them to identify what they're going to be on the team for that year so the fact that things start to get a little more organized that tends to work into the favor of a team like the london knights they like to have that structure in their game and we're starting to see more of that while 10 game stretches may be something that ohl teams can focus in on shane wright of the kingston frontenacs and a lot of teams in the OHL are wondering about a nine-game situation. If you play nine games in the National Hockey League, your team must make a decision on what to do with you. Now, Shane Wright is a player who is an underage player. You can either play in the NHL at his age, or you can come back and play, in his case, 
in the OHL. There is no going to the American Hockey League. And so now Seattle has to make a decision. Now, they still have some time, Kyle. He's played five games so far. He has his first NHL point, but he's not seeing an awful lot of minutes. When a player doesn't play a lot of minutes, what does that suggest? You know, it's tough because, one, he's a young player, so there's potential where he could be getting sheltered. But, two, you know, there might be a lack of confidence and you make one mistake, especially jumping from the Ontario Hockey League to the National Hockey League. You make a mistake that ends up either in the back of your net or the puck being hemmed in your own zone for some time. It puts pressure on you, puts pressure on your teammates. And the coach now is a little bit more reluctant to throw you out there in certain circumstances, unless it's a favorable situation for you. But when there's not a lot of favorable situations for a young player, it makes life very difficult on when you send them out onto the ice. And at that point, Shane Wright's not even focusing on the things that he's good at, like creating offense and, you know, driving the net. Now he's focused on not making a mistake, getting the puck off his stick quickly, which are not attributes to what Shane Wright does as a player. We had an opportunity to talk with Jeff Merrick from 32 Thoughts, the podcast and Sportsnet. And we asked him about the options that the Seattle Kraken have for Shane Wright. Well, there's a couple of options here. One, uh, they could just, you know, they could play him. I mean, that would seem, I mean, if you're Ron Francis, the GM of the Seattle Kraken, I think that's probably your your number one option. He's talked about wanting, you know, Shane Wright to stay with Seattle all season long. Um, so the one option is, quite bluntly, play him. Uh, I know the dynamic never works out great when the GM forces the coach to make decisions uh, that aren't necessarily his, but that is one option. Uh, the other option is they can hang on to him for another month and then send him to the World Juniors, I think, is it December? December 4th, Stubbsy, when the, when, the, when the kids have to report. So you could say it would be awkward getting there, but they could hold on to him for another month and then send him to the World Juniors, or they could just send him down now. Now, complicating all of this is if you want to send Shane Wright back to the OHL, you want to send Shane Wright to a team that's going to you know be one of the elite teams in the OHL, contend for the J. Ross Robertson Cup, and and hopefully compete for the for the Memorial Cup as well. There's a handful of teams that have emerged. We all know who they are, whether it's Windsor, whether it's Peterborough, whether it's, you know, Ottawa, Mississauga. I never, by the way, I'm not just saying this because I'm broadcasting into London. I never take the London Knights out of any major trade when there's a big name available. I always, we always have to keep in the back of our minds, okay, what do the Hunters think about this? They could do that. Complicating a lot of this is if you send them back to Kingston now, any trade that the Frontenacs make, you can pretty much be assured that Kingston would want that team's first rounder from last year. Um, but as you all know, first rounders aren't eligible to be traded until January the 1st. Now, he may want uh, someone older uh, instead, uh, and that may get the deal done. Um, there are, you know, some creative ways to go around this, but this is, this is anything but an easy situation, both from the player, the coach, the manager in Seattle to the Kingston Frontenacs and whichever team, if he does get sent back, the Frontenacs would trade him to. That's Jeff Merrick from 32 Thoughts, the podcast and Sportsnet. So you immediately get the idea if Shane Wright is returned to the OHL and that could be what is best for his development, it's not saying where he's going to wind up. I think he's going to be a great NHL player. I don't think there's anybody 
who is looking and saying, yeah, I'm not sure. No, he is going to be a great NHL player. It's not going to be necessarily a guy who scores 40 or 50 goals, but that's not his game. However, you put him back into the OHL, and he does tip the balance of power wherever he winds up going. And so now we have to wait and see what the Kraken do and then what the Kingston Frontenacs do. It is a difficult jump. And Kyle, I think maybe we should close out on this because it's a really difficult jump for players to make to go from major junior to the National Hockey League. And you said it, you're drafted in the first five picks. You're expected to make that jump. But so many times we can look. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, I think, is a great example. He yep. suffered a shoulder injury very early in his career. Would his career have been different? You can never answer that. But I always look to Doug Stacy, who is the athletic trainer with the Western Mustangs, was the Knights athletic trainer for many years, has worked with national teams and won more gold medals than you can actually fit around your neck without toppling over. And so Doug Stacy looks at this and he says, you have to appreciate the human physiology in this, in that shoulders don't fully form at the age of 18. There's still growing going on in the human body. And those shoulders are susceptible to injury. And when you are going up against men, it's a lot different for you. Now, there are two cases that you can look at and Dylan Hunter helped us to do this. And it seems to boil down to body type or just the ability to stay away from hits. For example, a guy like Oli Mata, uh, you know, he was an excellent player for us. And he had the skill and then the mindset. He worked hard. And, and I would say out of everyone, his body was pretty up there. You know, he was weighing about 200 pounds. He was, you know, he had the weight, but his skating was just a touch off. And he'd be getting hit, you know, by big men, uh, you know, heavy men. Uh, I always tell our guys when they go to the American League, I'm like, guys, these guys are paying mortgages now. You know, they're not, they're not staying at home. They're, they will go through a wall for to stay on that team. So a guy like Goalie just was getting out of the way, but didn't just know enough how to really spin. And, and he wanted to make a good impression. So he was staying in the pocket and ended up hurting his shoulder that first year. And it kind of hindered him. He's, uh, he's back now, apparently. It's had a good start, but it hurt him for a few years. So how special does your skill set have to be to be an 18-year-old? Are we we looking at Patrick Kane who just avoids being hit always? <laughs> yeah. You got to have like yeah, play play like a video game. You got to have have extra cameras uh, wired into your helmet to tell you where to go because there's only a few of them. I mean, McDavid with the speed, guys like Kane are just know where everybody is. You know, I've never seen him get hit. Same with Mitch. I mean, I remember the one time he got caught here and he still didn't fall down. He caught him in the last second, spun out of the way, but that was the closest I've ever seen him get hit. So it's yeah, those guys are exceptions. You know, there's not too many. You don't find them every year, no matter if you're first overall or not. Knights assistant coach Dylan Hunter on what it takes to play. And it is a different way of thinking. Junior hockey is a lot like high school or college or university where there's a lot of hanging out. There's a lot of fun. You get up into that business world in the American Hockey League or the National Hockey League and Guys are out there to keep their jobs, and they're going to go through you, and they have the physical strength to do it. So if you aren't a guy who can stay out of the way of those hits because, like Dylan said, Patrick Kane just seems to be a video game. He just has these cameras on him where you can just turn anyway and you see everything coming all at once. No idea how he does that, but it's one of the most remarkable things. If you've never watched Patrick Kane closely, pick any random game and just follow him every time he's on the ice. 
and watch how he gets away from contact. He still goes in to the areas where you need to go to get the puck, but he doesn't get hit. He, he just doesn't. And in fact, in junior, he would actually be able to use the bumps that he took. He was playing pinball where he was bouncing off things and they were helping to move him where he would hardly have to take a stride in the offensive zone because anytime someone came up against him, he'd push off them and that would continue to move him around. It's remarkable the stuff that he does. But then you get to some players who have suffered those early injuries and it can really hurt your development and it can really decide where you wind up as a player. So, Mike, for example, like who would players like that be? I know you mentioned Nugent Hopkins, but, you know, we've seen players. uh, Sam Gagne would be an example. He's a guy who highly skilled player, dealt with a little uh, injuries later on in his career. Oli Mata was a guy you mentioned as well. Yeah, it would be it would be that kind of thing where Sam Gagne and Oli Mata had tremendous National Hockey League careers and both made the NHL as teenagers. Kyle, you know who one of the classic examples was that even he looks back at now? Rico Fata. He played for the London Knights. Rico Fata then jumped to the NHL as an 18-year-old. Things didn't really work out early as an 18-year-old. They wound up changing a rule, making him eligible to go to the American Hockey League next year. And Rico is now 42 years old, and he's able to look back at this and his NHL experience, and he has a really unique way of thinking about it. Listen to this. You know, going back to Calgary, like nothing against the Calgary Flames organization or anything, and and if they are listening, I mean, I have no quorums about them or you know, I have no hard feelings, but to be honest, thinking about, like, I mean, I'm 40 now. You know, going back and looking at things, and obviously a lot more mature and understand how the business works, but I don't think my situation in Calgary was handled the way that it should have re- really should have been, you know. Um, I think if they wanted to keep me for a little bit, um, maybe they kind of give me the taste of the NHL, maybe for four or five games. And then after that, you know, send me back to junior. Um, I, I think by keeping me and not playing me, you know, I, I didn't play, you know, I, I would sit out a game and then I would play, um, you know, used to being playing with the Knights. So, you know, never got off the ice, you know, played in every single position, played in penalty kill, power play four and four on the ice when, you know, we needed a goal uh, on the ice when we needed to stop a goal. So I was in every single position, you know, going to Calgary and playing a very limited role, you know, playing three to four minutes a night on the fourth line um, in that time when fourth liners really didn't play a whole bunch. Right. So nowadays it's a little different story. Um, But, you know, I don't think my situation was handled, you know, that way as, as, as good as it should have been. And, worst case scenario, you know, keep me and then send me back to London to, you know, develop a little bit more. It's okay. You know, guys develop at, you know, different rates. Right. Um, I think that if I would have went back to junior and really, you know, solidified my game, you know, really played that 200 foot game and had a really understanding of what they wanted from me. I never knew what they wanted for me. I never knew if they wanted me to be a goal scorer because I did score a lot of goals in the OHL. I didn't know if they wanted me to be a checker. I didn't know if they wanted me to be a face-off guy. I got so many mixed emotions. So I didn't know where I fit in with that team. So then the following year when I go back for training camp, I'm thinking, okay, I got to go in there and score goals. I got to go and do there and do this. 
and then I say I don't make the team, then I go to the American League and say, okay, you got to go work on your game now. So it, my situation, to be honest, wasn't handled. I think if I would have went back to London and really had a great year again, and then you know then went back in the training camp and then went to the World Juniors because I struggled at the World Juniors too, right? I was uh, my confidence had gone. Um, you know, I, I went into World Juniors with a you know a, a good uh, attitude, thinking like, okay, I'm going to go there, be able to perform. And I wasn't there. I didn't play, you know, really for two and a half, three months. And then all of a sudden thinking I'm going to go there and be able to score goals all the time. And then you got guys like Danny Kachuk and Kyle Calder and Simon Gagne and all of these guys who've had, you know, great careers are already playing and they're doing really well and they're playing well in their junior clubs and scoring goals. So when they go into that situation, they got more confidence than I do. So I struggled. I did. I struggled. And then when I came back to London, I struggled as well. You know, I thought it was going to be, you know, I can just jump right back into it. And I, and it didn't, I didn't really start playing well, probably till February, you know, February, March, you know, really when everything that year, I started to play really, really well. Um, but it took me a good four months really, or two months to really get it back. No, the examples, Kyle, are absolutely everywhere. And it's, it's almost like parenting. You never really know whether the decision you're making is the right one you're trying to make the decision that is best for your organization or in the case of parenting for your family you're trying to make it the best for the individual or the child there there's a lot of factors and in the end you just hope everything works out right and to sit back and play 2020 maybe is unfair to sit back and play hindsight is 2020 is maybe a little bit unfair but it is what happens, and it's one of those things that I think we'll always do with the hope of trying to figure it out to make things go better in the future. Future for the London Knights is Erie on Friday night, Owen Sound on Saturday night, and we will be back to talk about both of those games. Want to wish best of luck to everybody taking part in the Under-17 World Hockey Challenge in British yes. Columbia. And that means the Knights are missing Sam Dickinson and Luca Testa. They don't have Rick Stedman, but it's because all of them have been selected to be part of the Under-17s, as has Londoner Jet Luchenko, who plays for the Guelph Storm. Malcolm Spence will not be with the Erie Otters for the Friday night game, and he's their fourth leading scorer. He's just a 16 year old wow. and he's actually on team black with rick stedman and sam dickinson luca testa is playing on team white there's three canadian teams team usa is there teams from europe and we'll see who winds up with gold at the end of that we'll see how the knights wind up the weekend follow kyle grimard on socials at kyle grimard g-r-i-m-a-r-d follow me on socials at stubs 980 enjoy the end of your week and enjoy the ohl hockey to come